Okay, guys, welcome to the OTT Red Spotlight Podcast. Here we are at IBC 2023. Hope you're having a fantastic event. This podcast is sponsored by Bedrock Streaming, and today we're going to be talking about the converging worlds of content production and OTT technologies. Looking forward to the conversation, guys. First of all, what I'd love to do is give you guys the opportunity to introduce yourself to all the viewers and everybody listening or watching. Thomas, you've got a fantastic career story. Pete, it's great to see you again. I know that you have as well. Let's have a quick introduction from you guys before we get set into the topic. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I'm Thomas Miller, CTO of Quest Group. Um, Quest is a worldwide acting system integrator and consultancy. We made, we are there in major broadcast stations and are also doing stuff in the OTT world. And we talk later about that, I think. Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Yeah. Mr. Eminger. Yeah, how's it going? So, Pete Eminger, so I was most recently the group CTO at NEP. So I wrapped that up in June, spent two years sort of helping NEP sort of expand its footprint and sort of consolidate globally. Before that, I spent four years at Blizzard Entertainment and worked a lot uh, on a lot of different things there, but primarily worked on BlizzCon, which includes like a private OTT monetized platform. So it's been a lot of fun the past few years. So this should be good. We've got a lot of subject matter expertise at the table. Let's talk about this, guys, right? So, you know, content creation and OTT technologies, and obviously they're symbiotic. They depend on each other. What have you guys seen most recently when it comes to those two topics? Let's set the stage for the rest of the conversation. Okay. You know, what are the dynamics from the top of the market right down to the kind of kids that are creating nowadays? Because there's a whole market there as well, right? Yeah. So, but uh, let's say what Chris says is that in the last years, it's more and more in the focus of user centric. So, personalized content to see that uh, TikTok, they are down the, uh, let's say, every swipe is something uh, it starts to see the computer in the background they do a recommendation yeah it was a complete new way on acting on acting on content yeah and uh, the broadcast industry is very slow to combine that mm -hmm. uh, because of they don't have the user data at the end and but you are working on getting everything what the user is doing back into the into the system and yeah now if we have a new design we 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 try to ask the uh, the, the, the broadcaster, not to think about mum, dumb and all this kind of stuff, more like you have a content tab and everything, every feedback we get from your client has to be in this content tab and how can we personalize content? Pete, what's your posture on it? I think, Is it a reshape in the entertainment industry? I think so. I think people are still seeing the focus on live, you know, and basically, although you're seeing some consolidation on a platform level at like a high level, you're seeing like sort of more of a diversification on a content level. Yeah. And the content quantity um, that people want to produce is increasing exponentially. It has for the past 10 years. Absolutely. And I think that that increase is only able to be driven by like digital and OTT technologies um, because otherwise it's not scalable. You know, people aren't launching, you know, hundreds of new linear channels. They're launching hundreds of new OTT channels. Yeah. On that point, what have you guys seen in terms of, you know, everyone talks about the host COVID bounce, that being a real catalyst for embracement of technologies not just on the big channels you know the big global channels but if you think of technologies like uscreen where you can buy your own ott channel for what 99 dollars a month something like that have you seen that there's a much wider recognition of the value of technologies in order to deliver content to markets from a cross-section of the markets you know what uh, what i see if i talk to the clients is uh, 
that in the former days content was king or content is king. Maybe content is even today king, but not made for your feeds. We understand the money is not coming directly to them, and they see, um, yeah, the uh, let's say a major client of us. They're now building their own technology platform because they feel that some some uh, some black bolt, just technical platforms like YouTube, TikTok, uh, and even Twitter has more relation to the user than they have. So, and they see now technology and the production, so the content itself on the same level. Yeah. And this is new, before it was every time the content. Yeah. And I think, you know, things are getting easier. Like it used to be, uh, you know, producing six live languages simultaneous for like a sporting match was really hard. You had to have like six full crews, six full productions, like six times everything. And now with all the new technology that's coming on, you can actually produce that even more than that for less cost than you could five years ago. And so I think that that is helping people sort of put out more bespoke content for their viewership. It's really interesting, right? Because on the back end where most people don't see, you know, uh, let's say traditional engineering was super complicated, right? You see OB vans, studios, all of that sort of stuff. Big, heavy-duty, world-class stuff. The UI, the way that stuff is more virtualized now in terms of just being able to do things on a laptop from anywhere, even for live streams. What would you guys say over the last few years have been the main technological changes that have enabled that? Maybe you are things from behind because we have done heavy uh, workloads in the cloud and, of course, for the user, it's easier and even for the operator yeah. but the stuff what's now going on behind the scenes with kubernetes docker all the different cloud vendors the virtualization orchestration is much more complex than ever that's my personal feeling but uh, of course uh peter's right you can do much more uh with less resources, so that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I think those technologies he's talking about, like cloud, like so many people even are still like, they say they're afraid of cloud and then they don't even understand how many workflows they actually have in the cloud in yeah. their current workflow environment. So, you know, like that kind of technology is helping scale a lot, and but people don't really kind of see it like that. And then also, you know, you, you kind of sort of set up a creator technology. It's like the, the use cream and yeah. those creator technologies are being leveraged a lot more by some of the top tier providers to expand their content. So it's actually crazy. Like, I, you know, I've got a 13 year old son. He showed me that he has on his phone called CapCut. I don't know yeah. if you know CapCut, yeah. but the amount of stuff that he can do, it's like a studio in yeah. his phone. It's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. On that virtualization piece, you, know, you, got, you kind of touched on it, Thomas. I was at the Broadcast Innovation Day earlier this year, hosted by Broadcast Solutions, and it was a huge topic in the shift in terms of the talent shortage required in the market out in order to get those kind of cloud-orientated skills, as opposed to the more traditional skill sets associated to engineering. Is that something that you guys have seen as well, particularly maybe at Brest? I don't know if you saw that at any peak peak when it comes to you know, the next generation of skills that are required in order mm -hmm. to keep up with the way technology is going. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we see, of course, that we, uh, let's say the classical journalist was somehow replaced in some cases with video journalists, so doing all the stuff himself. And even today, of course, uh, they're running Beat Studios by their own, which was not possible, let's say, 15 years ago, yeah. yeah. And, but but, but uh, if it comes to virtualization, what we see now as a trend, uh, which let's say cast channels, yeah, so that that the channel maybe only exists on the cloud or only exists on on the platform. And the new trend is even that we have AI-driven stuff on it. Yeah? yeah, like you don't have a real moderator, you have an AI-driven moderator. You have uh, 
chat systems uh, on the second stream and all this kind of stuff is uh, what's driving what's driving our serving ads and what what is the at, at the end to personalization stuff inside of yeah, absolutely so, this was going to be my next line of questioning actually around what yeah. do you guys see as the latest trends mm -hmm. stuff just continues to accelerate right when it comes to technology i guess that's the sad <laughs> that we live in and love <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you see in terms of the latest trends? You mentioned AI. What are you picking up? What's on your radar? I mean, people are starting to use AI. I actually don't know if I've really seen people doing anything really groundbreaking with it yet. Like, people are doing, you know, they're generating text and they're generating some content with it, but they're not really, like, really, really fully evolving it into their workflows in terms of, like, you know, people are doing automate, machine learning automation, not really like generative AI yet yeah. um, in terms of the production space. And I think that's a pretty big growth opportunity for people right now. So when you see that kind of stuff, does it trigger ideas in your mind around use cases and applications that organizations should be moving towards? Yeah, of course. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to enact them and put them in place. And, and especially with the AI space, you know, the models aren't really fully developed yet. And not a lot of companies are at the right scale where they actually have the kind of investment that they could develop the model themselves. And so then you're dependent on the public models and then in sort of a, a more niche content area, that public model might not be sufficient yeah. for making the kind of quality content that you need to make. Yeah. So what we see, I mean, that's the upcoming stuff or let's have three categories, optimization, scalability, and pioneer and expert. And uh, I would say um, user-centric approach, so personalization, this is the optimization stuff. They have to learn to know a user, what pattern he likes, now and for you said scalability is uh, 5G is a, a large topic for us. They are not the actual technology, but what you can do with it. Yeah. So let's say something in a live stadium where you get augmented reality on, on your uh, mobile device and follow the match and see graphics uh, on the device explaining new stuff. Yeah. Uh, then it's uh, of course cloud. It's uh, and I think only 11 to, to, to 50 percent of uh, today's uh, broadcasters are using cloud in their majority of workflows. But I agree uh, that uh, maybe 50 percent doesn't know that they have already workflows in the cloud, like Teams or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the new hot stuff uh, you see it also here. This AI, of course, what you can be with AI. So. Uh, uh, giving you text, uh, shortening, uh, shortening uh, text, so highlight, headline production, and or call to edges like how a user more, is more engaged to to watch the content. Uh, metaverse is a topic. Yeah, I, I'm personally not so believing in it. In it, but what I take serious is uh, <laughs> the last This is the uh, Vision Pro from Apple because okay. there are two companies teaming up, Apple and Disney, for producing content and the technology and. Uh, I don't really get it to have a metaverse where everything is virtual. If you can have your real world and the uh, the computing world interact, so spatial computing is a topic, and uh, at, at least uh, gamification also. So, uh, you know, you guys are both used to working at board level, senior executive level, you know, in large organizations in this space. At that level. Do you constantly have a mind towards the small disruptive firms that might be able to be more nimble and accelerate faster into a space? Well, you know, with some of these technologies, some of the yeah. stuff you mentioned, I want to talk about yeah. more, Thomas, but you've got to watch out for these companies, right? Because they get burst out of nowhere. My chat GPT did, developed in yeah. 10 years, and then in three weeks it was everywhere. Yeah. What do you guys think? Is it, where's your radar when it comes to risk? I think this is more or less our job. Uh, yeah. is, uh, because you have to... Uh, 
They're exactly TikTok now. They, they, they're coming out of uh, nowhere, yeah. Uh, was a good idea, and it means that it, um, it took, I think, six months for YouTube to adapt vertical video yeah. and have the same technology. And uh, so it was us, if, if I see something really interesting, you know, maybe I, I fail with 50%, but 50% I'm right. So yeah. they are not doing that, uh, then maybe our company don't, don't live so long. So we are, we are surviving by inventing us every three years new. So it best start as a box, uh, box reseller, yeah. Now our, uh, let's say, software development is 40% uh, of the company, which is unusual for a system integrator, but how you will survive if, uh, let's say, 50-60% of workflows moving into the cloud and you can't do the software for it. So yeah. customization, not products. So I have to say, like, what do you think, B? How do you set your radar when it comes to risk and disruption? Well, at big companies, you have to sort of protect some of your teams. You have to, like, sort of get, like, a protective public space around them so they can function like a small team. Because yeah. if you're in a 5,000-person company, you can't function like a 5,000-person company. You have to function like 50, 100-person, 500, 100-person companies, you know? And so, um, so that's kind of like the approach. And then that sort of enables you to be nimble. And you have to sort of have the flexibility to trust the people that work for you. Like, you know, once you're running big teams, you're not connected to every single thing and every single technology and everything going on. But, you know, you have people that are connected to those different technologies and you have to trust the people that work for you. Yeah. I can. So it's fun that you said that because we have done exactly the same. We are running at 1,400 people now, you know. But yeah, I have to divide them into small teams. So we have no departments, but we have teams of 10 to 12 people who are doing, uh, let's say, with a, a complete product for customer. Uh, and of course, I can use other teams, but the, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really a team structure from only 10 to, uh, 10 to 12 teams around the what are, what are the headlines around why you do that, Thomas? Is it to engender more intimacy and, you know, faster moving? We, or is we it? found out as we grow, there's, of course, uh, some growing pain. And uh, we work much better as a smaller company. And our idea was to have a lot of smaller companies, but without the PML I love that. Uh, running. And, uh, and one guy is responsible for, let's say, 10 people. And, and we thought a little bit about how is it your private life? How many friends here? How, how many people do you interact? And uh, uh, as the company was going, and I was in, uh, in peak time, I had uh, 80 people were reporting to me. Yeah? Well, wow. uh, my whole week was done with reports. And, after that, I don't know what I have done the BDF, and so I changed that. It's now not more than 10. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I want to bounce on to some of the topic you mentioned, yeah. Thomas, because we talked about disruptive influences yeah. and something appearing from nowhere. But do you guys share the philosophy where, you know, we've got OTT, it's well established now. This whole hall is full of content and OTT providers. But what's the next big thing? Like, is it going to be, you know, uh, Apple Glass or, you know, something's got to happen right that's going to constitute the next frontier and do you think that that's also going to lead to a convergence of other technologies into the same kind of space betting yeah. gamification yeah. and that sort of stuff uh, from for me the next good thing you need spatial computing so that you can interact with your real reality with your own yeah. uh, i saw some uh let's say uh prototypes and which is really amazing because it's, it's really sucking you into the content and it's a completely different user experience. And uh, if, I, if I see my child or my kids today, there's, uh, the youngest one is now 20, so, but uh, they are more into games and uh, I think they even don't watch you from, uh, from the beginning to the end. Yeah. I think the most things what they are doing is 10 minutes. Yeah. And without interactions, hard for them to follow. 
And that's the reason why I think, okay, spatial computing will be the next thing, big thing. What yeah. do you think, Craig? Well, I think there's, there's, if you break the content apart into two major buckets, one is like your sit back content. Like, I just want to sit back. I want to watch the World Cup finals. I don't want my phone in my hand. I just want to watch. Yeah. And then you've got all this content where it's interactive. You're sitting there, you're surfing, second screening. So when I was at Blizzard, we actually launched a failed product and we actually sort of learned a lesson. So we assumed our gamer audience, because they're gamers, would want interactive second screen content. And so we launched this really, really amazing cutting edge second screen experience you can switch players you could control your own view in the game like in 3d wow it was, it was amazing yeah and the nobody used it <laughs> they all just watched the mainstream and our mainstream viewership went up and i think it was just because of the marketing effort of the second screen wow. so maybe it had some benefit but nobody was using the interactive change your view perspective and and that was really a lesson for us and we we didn't understand that dynamic we really thought people would want more interactive content yeah. and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't yeah it's interesting because, you know, viewer experiences or viewer experience is a terminology that you hear a lot in, you know, when you're in an event like this and doing what we do. But it makes me wonder whether or not that terminology is going to evolve into something like interactive experience. Yeah. We spoke when we spoke before, Thomas, around, you know, the kind of augmentation yeah. and the topping that you've just raised and actually how you can imagine that people with a viewing experience traditionally will sit down and watch something, the lean back experience. But actually, people doing stuff on the move on devices is already happening. Yeah. And now participating in the real world whilst they're in a virtual world is looking more and more likely all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it has to be more natural. Huh? So we are, um, you, from the media and entertainment perspective, we have, everybody knows 3D. Yeah, it was a hype. Yeah? Yeah. And now nobody's talking about it. Yeah? But it was somehow, it was too complicated to use was the best. So that's the only thing where I'm not convinced about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think technology goes grows and grows and grows and uh, and um, yeah I, I, I really think that um, user experience is something you have to learn in the broadcast because broadcasts are so far was more we produce a product before and then we see how it works. Of course I have made the user research yeah? but now I think about more like a service offering, yeah. So you have tarts, snippets of the of, of content, yeah. But it would be a new form that uh, that will uh, that will survive. Does uh, in your mind when you think about that, Thomas? Does that also lead to more evolved next iterations uh, models, business models in terms of the monetization? Absolutely, yeah. Because the industry, as such, broadcasting is it's not growing at all. Yeah, you see, even if you look at our conventions, IBC and NAB. You don't see them growing. Yeah, it's all. It's just uh, somebody else is now doing what somebody else has done before, but it's not really growing. So the, uh, but what is growing is the, uh, let's say, entertainment as such, for uh, at home. So YouTube, Twitter, all these kind of, and uh, we have to learn that. Yeah. So here's here's a question for you, Ping. With everything that we're talking about in terms of where we are, where we come from, where we are, where we might be going. Do these things help to streamline processes for the businesses that provision these services? And do they boost creativity for the people using them? Well, uh, they boost creativity, but I don't think they streamline processes because I think, um, going back to kind of what we were talking about before, it's leading to like the diversification and the explosion of more content. So you've got companies that instead of, you know, 40 years ago, NBC produced one NBC channel, right? So they produce 24 hours of content a day. Yeah. Now they're producing hundreds, thousands of hours if you count the TikTok and all their social media content. 
And so their business processes and workflow processes are enormously more complex. And every time they turn on a channel, so like when a network makes a decision to add a social media channel, it's a huge amount of business complexity for them because they're monetizing all those channels. And so, so I think the business process side is actually getting more and more complex, which yeah. is why you're seeing like, you know, IT departments or CIO groups at these major media companies, you know, it used to be traditional back office IT. And now it was business process groups, which is what typically a CIO leads. It's way more integrated in the business today. And so it's, it's enormously more complex. Yeah. Thomas, what do you think? Now, for me, as I already said, user-centric is, is, uh, is, an, is a thing we are working on. Is, um, maybe I have to go a little bit back. If you, if you watch Star Wars produced in the 80s, yeah, this was a wow effect for everybody. And I think the next wow effect, this is something like augmented reality. Yeah. You, have to, you have to create it for, because for the people, they are now used to effects, visual effects and everything. Or like the new uh, Indiana Jones, where you see AI in work. Harrison Ford turned into uh, 30 years, yeah? yeah? So this is somehow a wow effect for us, but now another wow effect for uh, for the younger generation, yeah? Because it's, yeah. for them it's just normal, yeah? I told so, you a different wow effect is required. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and to create new visitors, we have to create some fantastic ideas, and it's our job at Quest, yeah? yeah. To, uh, to make them reality, to make the business processes but also the technical process so that, that it can be worked. Yeah? Yeah. So this, we, this is also customer for, from us. So, so for each and every Disney movie, it's 235 different versions of it because of compliance, because of language, yeah. because of uh, on which device it's running and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a large complexity, I agree, but they're not doing that for fun. They're making money off this 230 versions. Well, this is an interesting point, right? The more yeah. complex, the more yeah. people, the longer yeah. time. The bottom line gets affected ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Final question for you guys. If I could, my, when I work with guys like you, CTOs and big companies, <laughs> you know, I kind of have this picture in my mind of you having this big telescope and looking out into the future of what's going to happen. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being in that position in a senior leadership team, right? When and if you actually do anything like that, it might just happen in my mind. Yeah. But if that happens, what are the things that you're most excited about in this area over the next three to five years? What would you? tell people to watch out for what's happening with ai how we use it how it, it it's uh it will boost in the in your business in the next in the next year so so uh i think some people would don't understand ai maybe the expectations too high and they will get disappointed yeah that's also also clear for me yeah, yeah. but ai is definitely something you can't ignore yeah. yeah you have to do something with it and uh yeah spatial computing so the uh augmented reality all this kind of stuff will come for sure. I think um, the core is going to be, it's actually going to sound less boring or more boring, but like uh, the, the processing. It's supposed to be the most exciting thing. Yeah. You're going to you, happen, Pete. The, the real intelligence. <laughs> the, the, chip, the chip manufacturers cool. yeah. and their development on chip processing and bringing processing power to more people yeah. and adopting, they're adopting more of the standards. Like you're seeing NVIDIA getting on with 2110, you're seeing all the adoption of NDI and, and on, at a processing level, which means that those products will be more accessible to people to bring home. So it's gonna boost that creator market. And I think the biggest area we're gonna see that is actually in real-time engines, which actually dovetails off exactly what he was saying with spatial computing. And I think a lot of people don't understand how much some of these like, you know, people call them game engines, but they're not really just for video games like Unreal Engine, Unity, um, and 
and people are now making their own engines, you know, industrial like magic has their own. Yeah. And so I think like that increase of processing power and being able to bring these real-time engines out, is going to bring, you know, it's going to empower things like Vision Pro and all these like 3D capabilities and increased in content, but it's going to put it in the hands of creators. Whereas right now that level of content is really only at this high, high level. Yeah. And so I think that that's what you're going to really see over the next three to five years. Yeah. Amazing conversation, guys. Thanks so much for your insights, your intelligence, and your passion around this topic. I hope you enjoy the rest of IBC, and thanks for being guests on this episode of the OTT Red Spotlight Podcast, sponsored by Bedrock.